You're listening to Venture in the South, a podcast searching for innovation in the Southern U.S. Join us to make money, have fun, and do good. Welcome back to Venture in the South, a podcast about angel investing and startups in the southeastern United States. Today, I am very fortunate to have a Venture South portfolio company, Modern Ritual, on the show. And Eliana Goldstein, the CEO of Modern Ritual, is here with us to tell you a little about her company and her journey so far as a startup entrepreneur. Eliana, welcome. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just give the listeners a quick overview to you and what Modern Ritual does. As you know, healthcare has been a part of my life for many, many years. I grew up in a household of clinicians. My dad's worked as a primary care doctor in a health system at UNC. And my mother started her dermatology practice 30 plus years ago now. And so when I was looking at what I was going to do after working in venture capital for a few years out of school, I couldn't have thought of something more relevant than starting a company actually with my with my mother, which is now tackling an issue I kind of saw growing up, which is what do you do when most patients don't have access to a dermatologist and they're going to their doctor, their primary care doctor or whoever is local to them with a skin concern and has a question that they need answered, like, what is my rash? What is my spot? And don't have a dermatologist for a mother that they can quickly send a photo to and ask that same question or ask at the dinner table of. So that's really how we got started with Modern Ritual and setting up a new type of way for patients and providers to access dermatology rapidly when they need it most. Okay, got it. And so you currently work still with your family members in building Modern Ritual? Yes, day in, day out. I've learned that doctors are very much so entrepreneurs. <laughs> I don't know if I thought that entirely growing up, but now I see it a lot. And yep. I see it in the customers we work with that, yes, I my mother is in fact my co-founder. And actually, we earlier this year, my mother and father, we were all in a published research paper together okay. on teledermatology. Interesting. I imagine that is fun and challenging at the same time. It is, someone once said, having a startup is like having a baby. So imagine a baby with your parents. <laughs> it is a journey like no other. I don't know if everyone needs to visualize that, but it is, you get you get all of the highs of highs and you, I'm sure they could say the same. You learn to see one another in very different ways, but I, I feel lucky. It's a pretty cool experience. Oh, yeah, supportive co-founding unit. That's great. How did Modern Ritual actually get started? We started when I was still back living in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. We were talking about this idea, my mother and I, that men don't really have access to sunscreen. This was something she's a Mohs surgeon, skin cancer surgeon. She would always say, I see more and more men in my clinic who have a spot or a rash, and I wish that they would just start wearing sunscreen. So for about a year, my mother and I would work at nights to think around how could we get more men to start wearing sunscreen daily. And we started selling sunscreen. We started getting features on the Today Show with partnering with Katie Couric, all of these really cool things all around marketing sunscreen to men. But in parallel, a big part of what my mother loves and what I love is education and advocacy. 
And so we got my mother onto TikTok. And that is not a platform, I will be honest, that she organically would go to. She would much rather just be in a room with friends, maybe a glass of wine in hand. On TikTok, she just started talking about, you know, how to know if your spot is skin cancer, what a skin cancer look like. And videos just started blowing up in a way that neither of us could have expected, where people would comment, I have no access to a dermatologist near me, but these videos, I, I think I see something on my body and it takes six months for me to get in here locally. Can I send you a photo? And we started thinking, well, oh gosh, what are we doing here? We can't, um, this is, this is not how medicine is done. Uh, but it did show us that there was clearly something happening in the marketplace where we, our skill sets were really uniquely paired to tap together my background in public health and hers in medicine to tackle what's an even bigger opportunity, which is expanding access to care and looking at what are the current gaps in the marketplace competitively why haven't other solutions taken off? So we spent about six months last year just really evaluating what was out there in terms of telehealth options for patients, for providers. And that's where we realized that at the end of the day, there's still this huge gap because patients are still out there looking for better care. And when they can't get to a dermatologist, they're going to their primary care doctor, who's much more readily available, but didn't have the existing tools and technology to screen their patients for these types of concerning lesions. And so that's really where we saw this trifecta of we could provide a better experience for patients, for providers, and make it economically feasible for the healthcare system. Well, we, we probably had landed on something pretty big. Hmm. Okay. So if you now built the platform and people are using it? Yes. We have dozens and dozens of doctors across the Southeast. And now we've expanded to California as well, New York including urgent care, primary care solo practices, multi-site clinic. And we're soon looking to launch with a large health system across North Carolina, where this will be a covered service for their patients. So it's been really exciting to see how this platform has grown from one pilot in one summer to clinicians all across the Southeast and U.S. having access to care in a way that wasn't previously accessible. Great. Congratulations on the progress so far. Yes, we've, it's been a busy last last few months. <laughs> so it's interesting the way you phrase it. So the customer for you is the physician or the primary care doctor or the hospital system or something like that, not the individual with a concerning lesion, right? Right. And I love that we started with the patient. That was who was initially reaching out to us. But then when we thought about where does... We know healthcare has so many different entry points when you're thinking mm -hmm. about your go-to-market you could be an employer, GPA, pharmacy. There's just so many places when we really thought, where can we have the greatest impact and they're the greatest opportunity for improvement? It was actually with the primary care provider, with the health system versus directly with the patient. Okay, got it. So even though you are experts at TikTok sales of skin cancer products, <laughs> a man, and you know you, you have a consumer-ish facing background, it's still the, the physicians that you think is the right entry point into the healthcare. Completely. And knowing that it's really informed our entire process of engagement, because if you think about the patient journey, you know that it starts with, okay, I think something looks weird, but it doesn't end when they get a recommendation. It ends when they actually get better or when they get treatment plans. And so 
that's how we thought about the entire service when we work with our doctors. Yes, we're working with the primary care doctor. They're our customer. But how do we think about what happens when we give a primary care doctor our assessment? Well, if we tell that primary care doctor, hey, this looks really suspicious, this patient needs to get in for a biopsy if you can't do one. And so we started working with dermatologists all across the nation who are willing to accept and see patients faster when they work with us. So I think that while we work with the primary care doctor or health system, you really do have to think about the patient and all the other players who are involved. Okay, got it. So you then help them find a in-person dermatologist to go and actually be seen in person by by the expert? Yes, exactly. And working with dermatologists who also say, you know, we're frustrated. We know that a patient might be, it might be a year to get in at our local dermatology practice. And we're trying to find a better way to triage and to see our patients, especially those who have really high risk lesions. And so finding groups that understand that this is a new way of looking at helping patients get care more quickly when they need to in person seems to be a win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting, I mean, there are obviously a lot of different ways to provide healthcare. And if you tell somebody you're a teledermatology platform, they probably think of perhaps just a wholly online or the, I know Google recently came out with an AI that can sort of recognize uh, just based on a photo, right? They, they aren't in a similar sort of competitive space to you because they aren't helping the patients actually do something about that. Yeah. And I think that with a lot of new AI tools, it's, it's how they get implemented and how they integrate with a lot of the systems that are there today and where they're going. And so just like you were saying, there are some tools that are helping providers or patients say, I, this is the direction you're going in. This is what it might be. But what about the patient's allergies? What about what they've already tried? What about what the physician has tried? There's all of these other elements that exist. And at the end of the day, they're still going to need more support, both emotional and from a medical standpoint, that we're being brought in to, to help these clinics with. Okay. Do you use some of those other tools to sort of help you help the patients on that journey? We fully intend to at the appropriate times. So today, our platform, we have dermatologists, all MDs who are looking at these spots of concern. And from our standpoint, it's really about a scaling aspect. And as we continue to scale, these tools help us in understanding which lesions can be reviewed by our dermatologists, which ones are most critical earliest on. And so we fully intend to, one, have an incredibly robust data set of images that we're looking at internally to make sure that we're continuing to have a diverse set of images on all sets of skin tones and ages um, and profiles, but that we're also leveraging the best of the best in terms of technology to make sure that we're growing as quickly as we can. Okay. So obviously technological sophistication is one thing, getting people to actually use it because it's easy to use and delivers value for them is another. So you've given us a bit of a sense of how many physicians are using it, but how many of them are actually using it and how many patients are they seeing with it? How is that flow through to the dermatologists actually working so far? Yeah. So we have clinics, what I think has really been beautiful is we have clinics that have anywhere from they're just starting out. Maybe it's a provider who left a health system and is going out on their own and now wants the support of a dermatologist to clinics that have 
10, 20, 50 providers and are looking to now streamline their operations because it is a five-month wait to get into their local dermatologist. And this is helping them drive revenue in their clinics and save time in all these other areas. But we're seeing on average that the providers who do use it may use it anywhere from once, twice, three times a week up to every single patient if they're having a patient that has a history of skin cancer or is in an aging population, like with a pace market that we're looking at right now. So it really is, we're trying to be super mindful in the clinics we go after and understanding what their patient population looks like and how this will most effectively fit in. So we know pediatrics will look a lot different than a pace or Medicare population. Rolling South is changing venture with no upfront fees for accredited investors and deep diligence to bring our investors the best deals in the Southern United States. We're co-invested with you, so we only make money if you do. Join us to make money, have fun, and do good. And then, so how do you get paid by the clinic or the physicians per image that your dermatologists have reviewed or something else? So we have different pricing scales depending on the size of the clinic because we're a startup. We know that if someone came to us with one flat rate, we say, what are you treating the other guys with? (laughs) So we really try to adapt our model to make sure that a clinic who is a community health center can be able to work with us all the way up to one of the largest health systems in North Carolina. We're working on both ends of the spectrum. Typically, a clinic will work with us on a flat monthly rate, which will include a certain number of consultations as a part of that. We also will work with them to train them on using the dermatoscope, which we might go into in a little bit, a specialized imaging device that allows them to take higher resolution photos and send those to us. And so usually that's incorporated, that device as a part of the plan. Okay. Just tell us about what that is and why it's necessary relative to my iPhone camera that you know could take pictures of my unusual spots. Yes. So that paper I mentioned earlier, it was all around dermoscopy. So I'm not a dermoscopy queen, but I do think a lot about dermoscopy. I can say that word a little bit more quickly than the average average person (laughs) coming into this. But if you've ever been to a dermatology appointment, you know that they might pull out this magnifying looking device and they might look at your skin with it and the eye of the dermatologist. My mother always says, you know, I don't have my eyes on if I don't have my dermatoscope with me because as close as you can get to a biopsy without actually biopsying the skin, it's non-invasive. And so it's been around for over 20 years. It's usually a combination of magnifying what you're seeing on the skin while also getting a, a polarized lighting of the lesion. And there's all different shapes and sizes and prices for dermatoscopes, but When we first got started, we knew that one of the issues was getting a really high quality image to avoid sending someone in for an in-person referral. How could we keep that patient from having to unnecessarily go into an appointment? And so the dermatoscope that we use is one that can attach to the back of a smartphone or an iPad and is relatively easy to train and to use by the primary care doctor. So We will train the doctors in using the dermatoscope and taking good photos with it of any moles or suspicious spots. And that combined with maybe your iPhone photo or whatever you're using helps us to get a much more holistic picture of what the spot looks like, allows us to give a better recommendation to the provider 
and to reduce a lot of the referrals that might have otherwise been sent into an in-person dermatologist. So with that combination of better visual output and an actual person reviewing the image, you're pretty confident that you are, you are directing the physician the right course of action once they, they've seen the patient. Yes, through and through. Less referrals out, higher recommendations coming into the doctors, and higher satisfaction for everyone. Okay, great. I know healthcare is sometimes stymied, especially telehealth, by local regulations and state-level rules and who's allowed to practice in which locations. Do you run into that in your business too? Working with a clinician means that you start from the very beginning. This is first and foremost on the table of topics you're discussing (laughs) because it, it has to be. You have to think about HIPAA. You have to think about patient privacy and, of course, regulations. So we brought in amazing legal counsel who set us up in what is called a friendly PC model, where as we go into new states, we are saying compliant in every state that we go into and that we are being mindful of which states that we enter and when we enter them. Now, we have been fortunate to also be working in a provider-to-provider setting versus a provider-to-patient setting, Mm -hmm. which allows us to have a little bit more flexibility when we're going in and looking to partner with clinics. Ultimately, the provider is the physician who's seeing the patient, right? So you're just helping them make the right referral or the right decisions. Exactly. A better triage. Okay. Well, I think we've now got a pretty good idea of what Modern Ritual does. How do you get in front of large numbers of physicians to turn this into a universally used technique? In a lot of ways, the way we've approached this has has taken some lessons from the consumer side and then starting to adjust and morph them to really fit into a scalable B2B model. So when I say that, I mean, understanding that first impressions matter because you can't afford to be paying an egregious amount to acquire every single new customer. I just had a call today who said, I said, how did you hear about us? That's always my first question. Why? We're this young, small startup. Why are you taking the time to talk with me? He said, oh, I'm in a couple of groups. You know, I I asked about dermatology and your name was one of the ones that came to the top of the list. And so hearing that right now and today is a good sign that things are, we're doing things right. And yeah. that means <laughs> that we're spending the time with our customers to hear their feedback, to listen to them. But beyond that, beyond the good, the good stuff is really being mindful in terms of setting up good campaign flows, continuing to post thought leadership, both on LinkedIn at the right forums. So being in the right place, right time and doing things that are seem kind of crazy sometimes and taking big bets. So that can look anywhere from bringing, yes, both parents to a conference and allowing yourselves to be the family trio that is out and about mm-hmm. um, and being a little kooky with it to hosting dinners and lunches for physicians and and having real conversations about what's working for them. We've got a couple of tricks up our sleeve, but those okay. are a few of them. Good. I hope they continue to get more people using it. Just to uh, go back to one thing you said right at the beginning, after you had spent some time in VC after school. So tell us a little bit about what you did in the VC space on the other side of the table, and then how that affects your approach as an entrepreneur. So when I was graduating from school, I applied for a program, Venture for America. And as a part of that program, you work in a startup or venture capital fund that is 
perhaps not located in New York or California, but really in a place where there's a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs to grow, but perhaps people aren't always moving there organically right out of school. Mm -hmm. So I went to St. Louis, Missouri, and that's how I actually discovered the world of venture capital was I, I always say some people are now in venture capital clubs in college and they know, and I was, I was the one who was applying for 80% were these two person teams. And then all of a sudden I heard about BC and said, okay, that's a, that's interesting. Let me, let me explore that. And it was aerospace venture capital because it was with Boeing. And I said, okay, okay yeah. I'm not an aerospace engineer. How am I going to convince them that I, I should work here? And what I said is, you know, I want to learn from the best of the best entrepreneurs and the people who are getting funded here should be some of the best. They, you know, they're, they're growing, they're creating businesses that are high, high, high risk. <laughs> they, truly they're going to space or they're, <laughs> they're changing connectivity for the better. And I will treat this like my residency as if I were a clinician and work the long hours and we'll do what it takes to learn. And so I really think that it was a small team and there were two and a half analysts of us. And it gave me the opportunity to see everything from, of course, the grunt work of reviewing the th hundreds of thousands of deaths that come through. And but that's the only way you learn of what does a good pitch look and sound like, what perks or piques a partner's interest, mm -hmm. what's said behind the table. So I think that. It was this incredible experience that also gave me the first itch to to take the leap and the plunge that has now led us here today. Okay. One thing that I have noticed is you are pretty conscientious about sending updates to your investors. I imagine that's probably something you learned as a good practice being on the VC side too. Yes. Otherwise, you're the one pinging someone asking for the update. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, yeah. On that, and that if you want to, everything is a relationship. And relationships are built on trust. And I really do put so much trust in our advisors and our investors. And they've reciprocated by like Venture South being an incredible partner. And, you know, when we say, hey, we're trying to figure out how we approach this new pricing model, or we're trying to get in front of this customer, is there any way you would help us think about us? You know, they respond and they, they do get back to us. So I think it's a two-way street. Would like to try to be helpful if we can. I know it's a cliche that venture capitalists yeah. are helpful, but they do try to do their best sometimes. So <laughs> keep asking and they eventually will deliver. So that's very interesting. You you have been a medical expert, a VC expert, the the queen of the dermatoscopes or whatever it is, however you pronounce it. <laughs> um, what what comes next in your evolution and, and modern rituals as well? Where does it go next? Oh, I would I would like to be a great leader and a great manager and to build a really robust, powerful and community oriented team. That is, that I think is something that will make us excel. I think everyone knows, you know, great startups are really great teams. And so I think continue to build that out and who knows, maybe having an all-star cost-effective <laughs> company <laughs> retreat, you know, <laughs> but getting some of that, getting that into the swings would be, would be great. But outside of that, you know, I think I'm learning every day in terms of B2B sales. And again, it goes back to relationships and, and having fun with it. So getting some new tips and tricks. So for anyone listening, if they have a great podcast book, advisor or mentor that they've come across that has really stood out to them, I'm always looking for, for Rex. Okay, great. I love that. Building a great team is 
absolutely a underappreciated part of the early stage company journey and not mm-hmm. something people have necessarily done that much of in the past. So often comes with a steep learning curve for entrepreneurs. So I'm glad you are looking forward to tackling that. How many people have you got on the team so far that are not relatives? Oh, Lord. So we have a lot of our team has been either wonderful. Well, we have many dermatology readers, so I will exclude them from that. But a lot of it has been contractors who have come in, sales, interns that we've leveraged throughout the course of the company who are actually doing some of the sales outbound and have allowed us to be scrappy and grow. So I'm actually hiring our first full-time employee at the moment. So again, I will take anyone, anyone who has the best of the best within there, who's really passionate about the future of healthcare, healthcare equity, and being a part of a fast moving, shaking business, I I would love to speak with them. Okay, great. One last question for you then, if any listeners out there do have a concerning lesion or uh, skin issue, what, what should they do? Well, first, I, we always do say this. If you have a dermatologist and you can get into that dermatologist, we always recommend, please try try to connect with them. They do want to help. They do want to see you. Now, we know that's often difficult for many. So on our website, you can actually find a list of all the locations we partner with who have access to our services. And most of them, can you can get seen within a week or less to be seen for your spot or skin concern. But more so, even hopefully, I hope in the near future, you will go in to your doctor and they will ask if you have a skin lesion or spot mm-hmm. of concern, and it will be powered by Modern Ritual. Excellent. And if there's any male listeners on the call uh, on the, or listening, go get some sunscreen. <laughs> go get some sunscreen. We're, we're selling out fast. It, it will be a, a vintage a vintage item that is, that is available. But yes, they should. And I, I do want to say, especially for male listeners, it's one of the, it'll be the number one, melanoma will be the number one cancer in men in the next five or so years. So please, please get to know your body. Do, do skin exams at home. Um, get to know your skin. And if you do see something, reach out so that way you can get help sooner than later. So it's very treatable when caught early. Okay. Well, on that very sensible advice, we'll hold it there. Eliana, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Paul. This pod is supported by our own Rolling South Fund and by Venture Carolina, a nonprofit focused on entrepreneur and investor education. Connect with us on LinkedIn or Adventure in the South.